0: You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Book of Romans, now looking at Romans G. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Welcome back. This is Podcast G. We'll continue our study of Romans chapter 3 because I'll be commenting on that concatenation of sin passages, verses 10 to 18. Let me read that one more time. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. It's such a harsh picture. It makes you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, doesn't it? Genesis 19. Or the wicked men of Gideon of uh, Gibeon in uh, Judges 19. In fact, it sounds like the wicked men of Psalm 10, Psalm 11, and Psalm 12. But Paul's purpose is not to catalog the sins of the dregs of humanity. I mean, he is concerned with the worst of sinners, but he's concerned with everybody. With all of us. So we can let ourselves off the hook a bit too easily if we say, Well, I haven't done that. No, I haven't done that. Well, I've never done that. I'm a pretty good guy. And that would be to really get the wrong end of the stick, to misunderstand Paul completely. He's reasoning that all of us are in a hopeless spot Jew, Gentile, religious, non religious, it doesn't matter. We're all in a hopeless position. Without God, the apostle wishes to stress what a mess the human race is in. When he said there's none who is righteous, righteousness is not just about avoiding immoral behaviors. Biblically, it's much more about treating others justly, how we relate with our employees, or our boss, our spouse, our our children our neighbors, strangers. So righteousness is not just about being moral, it's about being ethical. Morality is about good and evil, right and wrong. Ethics is applied to our relationships with others. It's how we interact with people. So righteousness is much more ethical, I think, than than most Christians realize. When he says there's none who has understanding, everyone has some understanding, Paul's not contradicting himself back in chapter 1. He says that there are certain things that can be understood about God, because God has made them known. So it's not that no one has any understanding, but we suppress it. We lack knowledge, wisdom, perspective. He says that no one is seeking God. but Of course, this is a general description. That is the way most of the world is. If you stop a random person at the shopping mall or the bus stop, you ask them if they're seeking God, they will say no or they'll indicate no. Only a small number are seeking God. So as a generalization, it's true most are not seeking God. Like the two parables about the treasures and the pearl in the field in Matthew 13, one seems to have stumbled upon it. Another was actually seeking for that treasure. And I think most people more come across it. They stumble on the truth, or a Christian reaches out to them. There aren't really such a large number of people seeking. And so, once again, this criticism is true. They've all turned aside. We have veered off the highway of holiness. Paul accuses us of being unprofitable. What is our impact? Not just what does our life amount to before we're Christians. How about now? What difference would it make in the world if I uh, was not alive? If I were not a member of the church? If I were not trying to be a disciple of Christ? He says their mouths are open graves, their throats. We think of the foul smells that could come from A corpse, an open grave. But there's something contaminating about the grave, particularly in the Jewish world. It's unclean. It's dangerous. In contrast, we are called to have gracious speaks, Colossians 4, lips that bring healing to others, as the Proverbs often insist. Paul mentions deceit. We are called to complete honesty. Our words need to be wholesome, Not poisonous. Do we realize how we can affect others by the things we say? And Jesus reminds us that at the judgment, we'll be judged not only for the general drift of our lives, but for every careless word. Cursing. Perhaps we've never actually cursed someone using a formal malediction or going to a uh, a witch doctor and, and getting the the ritual words for a curse, but maybe we've wished it in our heart. Maybe there's a, a current of malice, bitterness. Look at Hebrews 12. Bloodshed, they're, you know, they're quick to shed blood. In the world, often the lives of people are considered very cheap. The needy are sold for a pair of sandals, as the prophet Amos points out. People are used. Things are loved instead of using things and loving people. The human race has that one backwards. Destruction and misery mark their ways. The consequences of sin. Our world is not just alienated from God. The alienation applies to relationships with others and even ourselves. This is a triple alienation. We're separated from God. We're separated from one another. And we're even separated from ourselves. We're in two minds and caught in a terrible struggle. There's no peace. No peace for the wicked, as the prophet Isaiah points out. This also is a consequence of sin. We're missing out on the wholeness, the shalom, the health. How are you feeling, brother or sister? Spiritually, how are you? Are you at peace? There is no fear of God before his eyes. Think of all the fear of God passages, like Job 28, 28. The fear of God would prevent us from, from drifting into these kinds of behaviors. It's when there's no fear of God that you end up in a Gibeon or a Sodom. Okay, let's carry on with the chapter, verse 19. Now, Paul says, We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, you've probably noticed I'm not using an easy Bible version like the NIV. I'm doing that because Sometimes we miss the flavor of the apostles' words when we use a paraphrase. NIV is somewhere between paraphrase and strict translation. I I like to use stricter versions for more serious study, and I think this series on Romans is more serious. Well, that every mouth may be stopped, that no flesh will be justified, When it says no flesh, it's certainly not a way I would put it. But biblically, that's a phrase that refers to all people, Gentiles included, with Jews. So all flesh, no flesh. All flesh means the whole world, Jews and Gentiles. No flesh would mean neither Jew nor Gentile. So Paul has illustrated that mankind is thoroughly sinful. And although the law reveals God's righteous standards and makes us aware of sin, the law cannot justify us. So the, by the deeds of the law, no one will be justified. By the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law is serving a, a positive function, but it's not actually justifying us. The illustration I often use is um, a what would you call it? A highway sign, a, uh, a sign that says, where, where are you? We'd, last week, we drove from, uh, from northern England, from a place near Penrith. We drove to London. Should only have taken five hours, but because of the snow and the rain and the traffic, it took nine or ten. So we see a sign, London, 100 miles. That sign is positive. It tells us how long it should take. Now, it ended up taking longer. But it gives us an idea also that we're on the right path. We're going the right way. Okay, London is that way. That's the distance. I'm looking in the right direction. That's good. But what the sign cannot do is take us there. For that, we have to keep going in the car. We have to make sure the car is gassed up, You know that there's not enough petrol in it. We can't come off the motorway and make a wrong turn. The law is very much like that. It's very useful. I mean, it's these days to be right up there with the GPS, but it cannot actually bring you all the way. You have to do your part. Continuing. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, that is a beefy passage. Most church people know only verse 23, all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God. But look at the context. When he says all have sinned and fallen short, he's saying that Jews and Gentiles alike have sinned. That all the world, Jew or Gentile, has sinned, and all the world will be saved only through Christ, through that righteousness of God. All have sinned and fallen short. All are justified freely by His grace. So there's bad news, but there's good news. So God's law is testified to in the Torah and in the prophets. As Paul began in chapter 1, and as he concluded at the very end of chapter 16, God's word, his oracles, point to the gospel. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. All have sinned. His emphasis is not that we've just missed it, that with more effort we might have made it. No, it's not really not about effort. I, I always like that illustration of swimming across the ocean. Olympic swimmer is able to swim, who knows, 20, 30 kilometers. And then he goes down. I I, I may only make it one kilometer. Some sorry souls would, would go down after just 10 meters. But from the aerial perspective, whether you can swim a kilometer, I hope you can, or you can swim 10 or 100, when you're looking at the entire ocean, No one really does very well. In fact, it's hard to even see what the difference is. There's really no room for pride. We are to seek glory, right? Chapter 2, but Paul is saying all have fallen short of the glory. It's not just because we're sinful. I think it's in part because we're not seeking. We're not seeking the right way. We're not seeking first. We're all justified through Jesus Christ. This is free justification. God's not holding back or grudging. And then verses 25 and 26, there's a great timing in all of this. When it says that God was demonstrating his righteousness, passing over the sins previously committed. You see, the Lord had always planned uh, good for his people and for the whole world. The timing is exquisite. The God of the Old Testament is the New Testament God. Not everything happened at one time in the history of salvation, but there was a plan. Once again, the thrust here is two-sided, a dual message. Bad news, we all fall short of the glory of God. Good news, we can all be saved through Christ. And as we teach others about sin, we've got to be careful to emphasize both. And if you're sharing Romans 3.23 with someone and talking about sin, be practical. That's a great thing to do. But don't leave out verse 24. Even better, look at the paragraph. It's true. Some dwell too much on sin, discouraging seekers and maybe reinforcing a negative concept of God. And others emphasize the good news too much. What I mean is they lightly skip over the call to obey, to truly follow. Jesus preached repentance and forgiveness of sins, the bad news and the good news. So I guess the question for me is, in my evangelism, do I soft-pedal sin? Or do I dwell on it too much, inordinately? I want to have the balance that I see in this passage. Paul does not say that we don't have to be obedient to be saved. Quite the opposite. Not being justified by law doesn't mean that we, we get to follow our whims, and God will be pleased with us whatever we do. No, obedience is, it frames Romans. back from In, in Romans 1.5, all the way to Romans, I think it's 16.25, we have to obey. But righteousness comes apart from the law. Our weakness is that we tend, because of Protestant conditioning, we tend to read this as apart from obedience. But we can't be righteous apart from obedience, because obedience is part of faith. To say that we can be righteous apart from holiness is wrong. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12. So that would be a serious interpretive error to confuse the words law and obedience. And then the last passage, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And once again, permit me to circle through one last time more slowly this final paragraph: Since everyone is sent, there are no grounds for pride in religion. I think that's what he's saying. You know, where is the boasting? There's no grounds for pride. I mean, if to be rescued we have to swim across an ocean, and the coast guard picks you up, maybe you've swum a kilometer and you've drifted another kilometer. Uh, there's no pride. You don't say, "Well, I not You didn't need you. Of course, I needed you. Thank you for picking me up. Well, you know, I, I made it a whole kilometer. Or I, I came 10 kilometers on my own. Yeah, but you're drowning now. There's no room for pride. It's, we get in a really bad place when we compare ourselves to others. And then there's a strange phrase in verse 27. Boasting is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Now, the NIV, I believe, renders this as principle. And that word in the New Testament, nomos, can be translated uh, principle, I suppose, but it's the normal Greek word for law. So I think Paul is actually in a way he's he's playing with words here, making a very serious point. so it's the law of faith that we need to follow. It's that principle uh, the law is good. he's just showing one more way in which in which uh, that is true through all of this, Paul insists that the law is good. If you have a negative attitude towards the law. And when I say law, I'm not talking about the law of your nation. I, I could be. Law in the book of Romans uh, refers to the Torah. That's the law of Moses. What is found in those early books of the Old Testament. Paul repeatedly insists that the law is good. Not just here in 331, but also in 712, 716, 721, and other passages like 1 Timothy eight. And this is really in contrast to the claims of some teachers, who equate law with legalism. They speak ill of the Old Testament, but the law is good. All of us have fallen short of its righteous standards. So do I take pride in my religion, my religiosity? Do I fail to remember that I, like the unbelievers, have fallen woefully short of God's holy standard? I've got to be humble here. And Paul Influences us in this way, thus preparing us for the key chapters on justification by faith, which are chapters four and five, and his favorite example, that of Abraham. And that's where we'll pick up in the next lesson. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Romans. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.